Now the Sadducees were, well, they were the posh ones. They were the rich ones. They were the priestly ones. They were in charge of doing all the temple stuff. Remember, it used to be the Levites in the Old Testament. Well, in the New Testament, it's the Sadducees that look after the running of the temple and do all the priestly things. And they were all the posh ones. They were your Nigels. They were really, oh, hello. That's them. Rich, middle to upper class. Your Pharisees, they were like your working class, but they were thinkies. Now, they hated each other. They absolutely despised each other. They believed in different things and they could not stand to be in each other's company. But in chapter 16, here they are. The Pharisees and the Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. Now, let's think about that. Two opposing sides coming together for one purpose and one purpose only, to test Jesus. They put away their differences, shared the same space to gang up on Christ. That's how much they hated him. They put away the hatred they had for each other, the differences they had for each other, and they bonded over their hatred of Jesus. So they said to him, Jesus, come on, show us a sign. Don't give us one of those healing a cripple type ones. No, 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 no. We want the big boy. Let's see a special sign. Let's see a divine sign from heaven. Do something amazing. We want you to blow our socks off. You can do it. If you are who you say you are, it will be very easy for you to do a heavenly sign. Well, Jesus didn't like being called a performing monkey. And he replied, when evening comes, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, today it will be stormy for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Then Jesus had it away on his heels and walked off, leaving them probably standing open-mouthed. <clears throat> so what was Jesus on about? Well, he didn't want to perform. He wasn't a wizard. He wasn't a magician. He wasn't there to entertain. He had nothing to prove to them. They didn't know who he was. If they did, they wouldn't have asked. And as he was going back with his disciples, away from the area where the Sadducees and the Pharisees held court. And they moved on to an area where the Gentiles lived, people that weren't Jewish. They got on the boat, and as they were travelling along, I have an image of Jesus when I've 
you know, one, one foot up on the side, holding onto the mast, just sort of gazing off into the distance. And he says to the disciples, yeah, be aware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the disciples sitting there, beware of the yeast. Beware of the, oh, we forgot the sandwiches. Oh, what did we do? And they start having a conversation about it. What are we going to do? We've forgotten the sandwiches. Well, I thought you were bringing them, Simon. Well, don't look at me. I'm steering the boat. And Jesus overheard. I like to think of him as kind of looking up into the sky and, oh, God, why? You of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000? And that only happened a few days before. One of the greatest miracles ever performed. They've forgotten it. If they can't even remember that when they go out, Jesus does lunch, how are they ever going to remember all the other stuff? Jesus literally made a lunch, a buffet for 5,000 people, and he'd done it numerous times. They still forgot. Was I supposed to bring the bread? And Jesus said to them, no, I'm not talking about bread. I'm talking figuratively. Ah. I'm talking about the teaching Just like when you have yeast, you put a little tiny bit of yeast into a bread mix, changes the whole shape of the loaf. Changes everything about it, the texture, the flavour, everything. Just a tiny bit of yeast, you can go from a flat bread to a loaf. It becomes puffed up, it looks different. It doesn't resemble what it should have before the yeast was added. And that's what Jesus was saying about their teaching. Their teaching's wrong. What they say, if you follow that, you won't look, you won't be what you should be. You'll be a loaf instead of a flatbread. Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The disciples were pretty dim. I know that's probably quite a a naughty thing to say, but they were quite dim. Miraculously dim. They always got it wrong. They never quite understood Jesus. They had to have it spelled out to them. Now, when they got to Caesarea Philippi, which is another Gentile area, and an area where they taught paganism, they had lots of gods there, small g, and their gods, according to them, would be walking amongst them living with them. They could see them. Much like, you know, Zeus in the Greek myths, where Zeus comes down from wherever it is that he lived, Mount Olympus, 
and would walk amongst the people, he'd disguise himself. That's what they believed. They had these living gods. And Jesus asked them, who do people say the Son of Man is? And he didn't just ask one person, he asked all of his disciples. Who do you say the Son of Man is? And they replied, well, some say that you're John the Baptist. Bit of an odd thing to say, isn't it? Because John the Baptist was still alive at this point. So maybe they meant that he was just another version of John the Baptist. Or maybe they hadn't seen John the Baptist and just thought, oh, well, it's probably the same one. But either way, generally, people thought that Jesus was John the Baptist. Or another version of. Others say Elijah. I can see that. Very similar in some regards. Just another Elijah. Others say Jeremiah, another prophet, another man that tried to stand for God. Or maybe he was just another prophet, I don't know. Just one of those prophet types, you know, the ones that stand in the market and shout out, the end is nigh, that kind of stuff. That's just who you are, Jesus. That's who they think you are. And then Jesus asked them a question that I would imagine terrified them. But what about you? Who do you say I am? Now, Simon Peter, pretty much the spokesman for the group, and when Simon Peter's your spokesman, you're in trouble. Because he was just as dim as the others. But, Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. You notice the different names there. Simon, Peter. Then it was Simon, son of Jonah. And then it was Peter. Now if you read Matthew's Gospel... It talks about Peter. But Jesus never called him Peter. It's always in the third person. And Peter said, because that part of the Bible, the beginning of Matthew, is building you up for this moment about Peter. His name's Simon. But he calls him Peter. But here, Jesus actually calls him Peter. And we find out why Simon was called Peter at the beginning of Matthew here. You see, something happened. All of a sudden, Peter has divine intervention. 
God has allowed Peter to understand and know who Jesus is. That is a massive moment. Because they weren't sure. They weren't sure. They'd think it. They'd probably whisper about it. They'd see all these wonderful signs, see all these wonderful miracles. They weren't sure. And then all of a sudden, in this little encounter we have, Peter finally understanding exactly who was standing in front of him. And almost to honour that, we have this new creation. We have Simon. Simon, son of Jonah. Now becomes Peter. A new name. A name that meant rock. And on this, I will build my church. He doesn't mean... On Peter, I'm going to build my church. Unless you're Catholic, then it does. But we're not, so it doesn't. Not apologising for that. It doesn't mean that Peter is the thing we build our church on. It means we build on the revelation that he had of who Christ was. We build the church on the revelation that God has allowed us to understand who Jesus was. When we convert, when we have that wonderful moment, we understand who Jesus was and we confess, I know who you are. That is what we build our church on. That is what Jesus builds his church on, the knowledge that is inside us of who he is. His identity. Not ours. His identity. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now Hades, we shouldn't think of Hades as hell. Hades was not hell. Hades was just the place where dead people went. They weren't punished. It was just a place where they went and hung out and that was it for eternity. I don't know what they did there, but I'm imagining Muzak on a little tinny speaker, maybe some woman's realm on a table and some uncomfortable plastic chairs. Not unlike this room. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And what does that mean? Should we look at that as a works thing? Whatever you do on earth, whatever you physically do on earth, will be what you get in heaven. I suppose we could. I preached pretty much that last week. But really in this instance, he's saying, if you believe me here on earth, I will believe you on the day of judgment. 
You confess me now. You understand who I am now. And then on the day of judgment, I will confess to my Father that I know you. I know their identity, Father. They're one of us. You make the decision not to find out who Jesus is or don't care about it. Jesus will do the same to you on the day of judgment. I'm sorry, Father. I don't know this person. He is not one of us. So why am I talking about identity when I should be talking about me and what I can do for you? Well, I don't like talking about myself, to be perfectly blunt. Most of you know who I am. I've worked with many of you. I've probably cried with a few of you. Certainly had a laugh with most of you. And you think you know me, don't you? But you don't. Not really. My wife thinks she knows me. She doesn't. <laughs> There's probably no one on earth that knows me better than Laura. But she doesn't know everything about me. No one can know everything about me. I don't know much about me, to be fair. There's stuff that I find occasionally and go, well, I didn't know that. It's usually a mole. Who knows me better than me? God. God knows me inside out, back to front, and every which way but Wednesday. He knows the same about you too. So by all means, make a judgment on whether I am the man that will run your church, his church. Make a judgment based on what you already know about me. Now that might be a positive judgment, it might be a negative judgment. But make the judgment by asking someone who knows me. Now, anyone that does know me a little bit will know that I don't like ties. <laughs> yeah. And I don't like doing the top two buttons up of my shirt. So I'm not going to be that person. If you want a nice suity type, I'm not your man. If you want someone that has fun with the Word of God but takes it extremely seriously and tries to emulate Christ where he can and wants to teach people the Word and to enjoy the Word and have joy in the Word, then I think we're on the same page. But don't take anyone else's word for it. If you want to know my identity, pray. When we look back at Peter, 
Not long after, his amazing revelation, his confidence in knowing exactly who Jesus was. Jesus tells him that he's going to die. He's going to the cross. So we're going to go to Jerusalem. And there I will be arrested, tried, convicted, and put to death. Peter immediately forgets who is standing in front of him and says, no, that will not happen. And what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. And that's not because Peter was possessed by a demon or anything like that. He'd just forgotten who Jesus was. Simple. He started looking at his earthly identity. No, Jesus, you're the man that we follow around, that gives us food, that does this, we have a laugh with, we do this with. That's who you are, Jesus. You can't die. But of course, Jesus wanted him to know him by his heavenly identity. And if Peter remembered his heavenly identity, we would know that Jesus was not going to die and stay dead for long. We know Jesus' identity. We know that he was going to rise again. Peter, brain fart moment. No, you can't die. You can't die. Earthly identity, heavenly identity. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life, for me, will find it. You see, when we come to know Jesus, truly know him, we give up our earthly identity. You are not the same people you were when you made the choice to follow Jesus. I am not the same person. I don't recognize that man as me. I have no idea who that man was. But I know who I am now. How much have you grown in the year since we've been apart? Your trials and tribulations? Are you the same people from March? Are you? Have you overcome Probably the greatest threat of our generation. Yeah. Just sitting here on Sunday in church. Some of us didn't make it. But we'll see them again. Their identity is known to the Lord. They're being looked after. They gave up their life and they are now in their true identity. Much the same as I hope all of us will be. Jesus wants you to know who you are. Who do you say you are? Are you going to say who you are 
with earthly devices? If I asked you to describe yourself in ten words, what would those words be? Do it now. Have a quick think. I'll, tell you, I'll, I'll narrow it down. Five words to describe yourself. How many had more negatives than positives? Hands up. Who had more positives than negatives? All right, show off. I like to think, and it's a deeply theological point, that when we get to the pearly gates and St. Peter's going to be standing there, he won't be, that's not in the Bible. But bear with me. He has this barcode. It's out of date. Says Jesus. In you go. Mm, Jesus. Your heavenly identity is Jesus. You are washed in his blood. Every one of you can be washed in his blood. If you haven't made that decision yet to find out who Jesus is, I'll tell you who he is. I will tell you his earthly identity and I will tell you his heavenly identity. He was the Son of God. He was fully man. He was fully God. His purpose was to come and bear the punishment for all of the wrong things that we have done. All of the wrong things that every man, woman and child has done on this earth since the beginning of time until the end of it. He bore that punishment not out of duty, not because he just woke up and thought it was a good idea. He bore that punishment because he loves you. Plain and simple. He loves you. And God loves you. God loves you so much that he gave his only son in sacrifice so that we could have our true identity back. Not our earthly one, our heavenly one, our real identity, the people that we really are. Jesus died and bore that insufferable pain simply so we could be who we should be. Now, it's been quite a stressful few months for me, and I'm sure it's been quite a stressful few months for you too. Change is always difficult. And there will be changes. Whatever happens with the vote, there will be changes. For a start, I don't look anywhere near as good in the dress as Ali. It's just a fact. And if I did look as... Hmm? I do look better in Lycra. Yeah. Oh, what a horrible image. 
But whatever happens, it's not going to change my identity. It's not going to change your identity. It is well with my soul. Make it well with yours.